Hey, this is the Canadian Taxpayers Federation podcast, where we're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. So, Franco, you've been doing what you love to do, and <laughs> digging <laughs> through data there in Ottawa, and it looks like we aren't going to balance the budget for a heck of a long time at the federal level. What is going on up there? Yeah, that's right. But hey, we actually uh, kind of have some good news. So first, the good okay. news. Uh, the good news is that the feds are going to f- balance the budget way before 2070. Chris, you probably oh. remember. Yeah, we're the, we, we were digging it up through PBO spreadsheets last year, and we found that the feds wouldn't balance the budget until 2070. Well, we got a new report from the PBO and a little bit of good news. It turns out the feds will, will balance the budget uh, by 2041. <laughs> So uh, a few decades earlier, earlier, but but of course the bad news is 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 glaring us right in the face, and that's that yeah. another two decades of deficits under the status quo. But brace yourself, Chris, because it gets even worse for the federal government to balance the budget by 2041. They need low interest rates, they need steady economic growth every single year, and they need to be able to find the spine to say no to new spending. Uh, yeah, and we have seen no evidence of that over the past uh, many years. Now, you and I were talking about this last week about the fact that they really need all their ducks in a row. Like they need, you know, super good surfing weather in order to be able to even balance it by 2041. Can you break some of that down? Uh, what sort of goalposts are they hoping to reach in order to even get this sucker balanced in a couple decades? Yeah, 2041 is how is when they would balance the budget under the status quo, which is ridiculous, but they need three other things really to happen, right? Three okay. things. Number one is they need interest rates to stay relatively low, about 2.5% for the next 20 years for the government. So right now, the government is borrowing at about 1.7%. That's according to the PBO, but... Two and a half percent is lower than rates were every single year between 1991 and 2015. And we just saw the central bank put in a a very big interest rate hike. Right. So so very questionable there. But the second thing that the federal government needs is uninterrupted decades of steady economic growth. They need eight percent nominal GDP growth this year. They need five percent next year. Then they need four percent every year after that until 2041. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll stumble into what two decades of uninterrupted economic growth. But hey, maybe we won't. And then, Chris, here's the craziest part of this whole thing. The federal government cannot announce any new spending that wasn't already included in the last budget. What? Like, okay, uh, regardless of party, like the idea of a federal government no longer announcing new spending, like that's not going to happen. Like the, we would like to see that happen. We would like to see them balance their budgets as aggressively as possible and still provide services to people who need it. But I just can't see that happening. How on earth are they going to make that happen? Well, you know, they should be able to make it happen, right? Because, like, let's look at just how big and bloated that this government is. The way that the government has been spending for years, really finding savings in every area of the budget should be like finding water in the ocean. So it's doable. (laughs) It is doable. But let's look at the government's track record and let's try to be realistic here. First, 
we've had the finance minister herself, Christia Freeland. She acknowledged that budget 2022 doesn't even contain all of the Liberal Party's promises from the last election. So already we're, we're, we're casting doubt on that, um, that very rosy uh, projection. But then let's look even further back. So before the pandemic, you had the Trudeau government in 2018 spending all-time highs, even adjusted for inflation and population growth, which means that before the pandemic, the Trudeau government spent more money in 2018 than it did than the federal government did during any single year during World War II. And this year, Trudeau wants to spend $90 billion more than that. And of course, remember Trudeau promised taxpayers he would balance the budget. Remember when he was running in 2015, mm-hmm. he would balance the budget by 2019. Well, he ended mm-hmm. up missing that target by about $20 billion, even before the pandemic. He also said that the budget would just balance itself. So sorry for being unconfident uh, or inconfident, whatever the term is, in this fiscal management. But I just wanted you to repeat that point. The year 2018, in that singular year, they spent more money than in any single year of the Second World War adjusted for inflation and population. That's right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I know it's it's crazy, but so this is before the pandemic. 2018, yeah. the Trudeau government spent more money than the feds did during any single year during World War II. In 2018, there wasn't a cross-country recession. There wasn't a pandemic. And the federal government was spending all-time highs. And for folks who aren't old enough to have lived through it, uh, maybe you could crack open a history book. The Second World War was a big, hairy deal. We were spending a ton of money during the Second World War. So the fact that they were spending more money in any year before the pandemic is just mind boggling. But I'm going to try to play devil's advocate because I know a lot of our listeners right now, it's it's tough out there. A lot of folks have seen pay cuts. Some of them have lost their businesses. A lot of folks are deep in debt, uh, average Canadian people. So devil's advocate, why does it matter that they're not balancing the budget at the federal government level? A lot of people can't balance their budgets. Why should we care? Well, here's here's why it matters. So by the time the feds eventually get around to balancing the books in 2041, Interest charges on the government credit card will have cost taxpayers $802 billion. Chris, that's a cost of $18,000 for every single Canadian, right? So that's hundreds of billions of dollars that can't be used to improve government services, that can't be used to fix the potholes, to expand healthcare capacity. And Mm -hmm. that's also money that can't be used to lower taxes so Canadians can actually afford groceries, can afford to get their kids into hockey. Um, But here's another very important thing to keep in mind, because big deficits, big borrowing costs, that's going to push politicians to look for new taxes. And we've already seen the government raise taxes recently. Payroll taxes up, booze taxes up, the carbon tax up. And let's not forget, we dug up documents that show that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau requested a briefing note on a potential wealth tax. And we also dug up the fact that uh, Trudeau's staff met twice with the group that is receiving tax dollars to push for new home taxes. So there, this is really important for everyday people, and it really is a pocketbook issue. Yeah, for sure it is. Uh, it just 
it seems pretty overwhelming, uh, all of these numbers and all of this money and all of this debt. Uh, but I, I read through your pre-budget report and there were some solutions in there, like real ones. And so I want to give people a bit of hope that, you know, this is fixable. Just, you know, grab the toolbox. What is the fix here? What could they do if you had their ear and they were going to listen to you? Yeah. What would you tell them to do? I would say stop spending like crazy. <laughs> okay right? there done no, i'm just envisioning you know when you said no new spending i just pictured them announcing some brand new conference that we're hosting and then blowing <laughs> tens of millions of dollars on it like they could do that in the blink of an eye so yes stop spending like crazy go ahead well you know you mentioned uh you mentioned the pre-budget submission of course yeah we we were able to present to the finance committee our, our recommendations and the budget submission was 75 pages long so uh <laughs> if, if, if our listeners want to to give that a read that we'll put in our show notes for them but look, it actually is only going to take a, uh, a very little amount of restraint to get the books back to balance. We would actually balance the budget federally by 2024 just by bringing spending back to the pre-pandemic levels, which were all-time highs, and even allowing it to adjust upwards for inflation and population growth. So relatively easy restraint for the government to balance the books within a few years. So that's the high-level picture. Let me just give you a few examples. Well, number one, you got to rein in the ballooning bureaucracy. We've seen the number of bureaucrats increase by thousands and thousands every single year. Uh, we saw that more than 300,000 and federal government employees received at least one pay raise while their neighbors in the private sector struggled through pay cuts, job losses, business losses. Um, then there's also corporate welfare, right? Uh, we've 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 heard since 2015 or 2017, sorry, the Trudeau government announced about $18 billion worth of corporate welfare. And then, of course, it's just the obvious examples of waste. Scrap the Mission uh, Cultural Fund, where we where we gave $8,000 for a sex toy show in Germany. Um <laughs> And we fly chefs around the world. Sorry to interrupt, man, but I just couldn't believe that. We actually fly Canadian chefs around the world. You know, diplomats have red phones in far-flung countries. They're feeling a little hungry. They pick up yeah. the phone. We fly them out. Like, it is nuts what they're spending over at Global Affairs. And, and and talking about expensive trips, what about the governor general? Remember the governor yeah. general and her entourage just spent about $80,000 on airplane food. Well, that's a place you can find savings. And <laughs> speaking of Rideau Hall, why don't we just stop giving former governor general's expense accounts for life. The, so there are obvious places to find some savings. What's so unfortunate, Chris, is that it doesn't even seem like they're trying at this point. No, they really aren't. So uh, folks, uh, we are trying and Franco's plan to get back to balance is actually a really good thorough read and it's not difficult to get through. So check out our show notes there and see how we can get it back to balance. I'm here with my friends and colleagues, Franco and Robin. So, Franco, we're talking about alcohol taxes. You know a lot about that substance. What's going on? Well, I certainly know a lot about beer. Uh, I'm getting to know a lot more about the beer taxes, unfortunately, because the uh, the gentleman who's joining us, we were in Ottawa very recently having a few pints and, and Robin was telling me just how much taxes we were paying every time we ordered a pint and I stopped wanting to order pints. So Robin, why don't you break it? did you stop dancing too? Or <laughs> we just stop ordering beer? No, just, <laughs> nah, just the beer. So Robin, why don't you break it down for our listeners? Uh, just how much taxes they're paying every time they get a pint. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks, Franco and Chris. Uh, sorry to be the bearer of bad news uh, because it is shocking the the amount, uh, the burden of taxes on beer, wine, and spirits in Canada. It's among the very highest in the world. Um, so I think the example I used when we were having some pints was in Prince Edward Island. 
um, which is uh, which is sort of a typical example. Uh, if any of our viewers or listeners were in PEI this summer, uh, hitting the beach, grabbing a case of beer, uh, the taxes they paid on that case of beer in Prince Edward Island were more than the actual case of beer at a retail outlet in 25 American states. So you're paying more in beer tax than for beer in the U.S. Uh, it's a shocking figure. You know that number is similar across uh, across other provinces as well. Um, but it's among the very highest in the world. And now, unfortunately, uh, those taxes are going to go up, and they're going to go up in a big way. Uh, the Trudeau government has brought in an escalator tax on um, excise on beer, wine, and spirits. So at an alcohol manufacturing facility, the federal government charges the excise tax uh, at point of manufacture. They've decided that this is going to go up um, automatically now every single year without a vote in parliament. Oh. And it's going to go up at the rate of inflation. So we're already paying among the highest beer, wine, spirits taxes in the world. Uh, and unfortunately, they're uh, they're just going up higher and higher. Bloodsuckers. So they'll get it out of however they can. Now, you said that was shocking. You said that. So Islanders, Prince Edward Islanders, if they buy like a case of Keith's or whatever, and they're hitting the beer, hitting the beaches, their tax bill was more than our American friends pay for the actual case of beer. So that sounds like a lot, but can you break that down? Like, tell us, like, what are the numbers saying? What are the percentages here? Like, how much are they getting screwed on their beer taxes there? Absolutely. A lot. A lot. Okay. <laughs> uh, they're getting screwed big time. So basically, you know, in, in Canada, sort of an average across the board, uh, about 50% of the price of beer is tax. 50? Uh, half? 50. Half. Yeah. Half Ooh, of that case half. of beer is is taxed at your retail store. So, you know, as if that's not bad enough, uh, what about your favorite bottle of wine? That's uh, 60 to 65% tax. Insane. Uh, maybe you enjoy just, uh, you know, sipping a fine Canadian whiskey, 80% tax. So, 80%. Okay, I, sorry to interrupt, but I don't think a lot of people know this. That's a lot. 80? It's shocking. People don't don't know this. Yeah. And we we are among the highest uh, tax burden in, in the world. So, you know, if we unpack that a little bit more, let's let's go back to that PEI example for a yeah. second. Uh, case of beer there. The tax burden in PEI is about twenty six dollars a case. Uh, it, to use another example in Oregon, if you're buying the same case of beer in Portland, it's two dollars. So $26 versus $2, that's the spread. The average tax burden across Canada is about $20 a case. And in the U.S., it's about $4. Those taxes in the U.S. federally and at the state level are going down. Uh, in Canada, they're going up. So up and up and up. You know, And if you look at, again, that, that fine bottle of Canadian whiskey, uh, say in Ontario, for example, uh, where there is a lot of production, um, you know, that $28 bottle of whiskey on the shelf is over $22 in tax. That's that's the level of this egregious uh, tax burden on uh, on these products in uh, in Canada. So, the, I mean, just the numbers, the magnitude is absolutely crazy. It makes me want to go stateside for, for <laughs> maybe a, a beer or something like that. Um, but you said up and up and up, which means that it's going to continue going up. You s talked about the escalator tax in your first answer. So... Break down for our listeners exactly what's going on with the alcohol escalator tax. Sure thing. So uh, it's interesting that the Trudeau government brought this in in the 2017 budget. So it's in fact been around for a few years. 
Um, but rising at the rate of inflation, which was, you know, more normal, hovering around that 2% the last few years, as all Canadians know now, uh, just when you go buy groceries or fill up your car with gas, uh, in inflation is up big time. So, you know, as it's trending right now, that would mean it's going to be up uh, 8%. And the way they've rigged this, this sneaky tax hike is uh, on April 1st, every year, it will automatically rise at the, uh, at the rate of inflation. Um, you know, it sets a terrible precedent. It's undemocratic. You know, and as we were looking into this, it was fascinating to see that, um, as as Yogi Berra said, it's like deja vu all over again, because the Trudeau senior government did this exact same thing in the early 80s in Canada. Uh, and it was devastating. Um, it's, uh, you know, several distilleries couldn't couldn't handle it in Canada. They had to close their doors, um, creating a huge, huge burden. And so here we're doing it again, where... We see, uh, you know, again, deja vu. It's it's high federal spending, record deficits, record spending, and the government's just looking for, uh, you know, how they can raise taxes sort of anywhere. So they're doing this in a in a sneaky way without even voting on it in uh, in parliament, you know. And it obviously these these liquor taxes hurt consumers, um, as as mentioned in the '80s, and now this hurts all the brewers, uh, vintners, and distillers in Canada, who employ tens of thousands of Canadians and contribute billions to the Canadian GDP. Uh, it hurts restaurants, bars, and and hotels. The hospitality sector that's been, um, you know, incredibly burdened the last few years of the the roller coaster of pandemic rules as they're trying to come back. You know, and uh, I'm in Saskatchewan here today. Farmers, uh, it's gorgeous blue sky outside. A uh, harvest is underway. So it's farmers uh, who grow the mm-hmm. rye, the corn, the the barley, and the wheat for this important market. Uh, you know, these these world class products we're producing. So. Um, you know, this is undemocratic. There's no accountability here. And it just raises that burden, making our industry uh, uncompetitive, hurting consumers at the uh, at the same time. That's just awful. Actually, I just got back from a friend's wedding uh, and he got married uh, in a vineyard in the Comox Valley. And I spoke with the owner of the vineyard and they're struggling because, of course, for the past two years, it's been locked down this and can't taste that and can't touch this. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're really getting nailed. And now they're getting nailed with this escalator tax. And then you drive through the Okanagan on the way back to Alberta. The vast majority of it now uh, is vineyards like this is a huge part of the economy. So we know it's. So, yeah. So we know it's awful here in Canada. I'm still surprised by those numbers you gave me. I knew them a couple of years ago, but then when you repeat them, it's nuts. How do we compare around the world, though? Like, where are we on the scale when you look on the map of the earth when it comes to these alcohol taxes? Yeah, well, again, it's shocking for sure. Um, The burden is so much lower in the U.S. and only going lower. The burden is so high here and it's only going up, which uh, just, you know, topsy-turvy. It makes makes no sense. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a good question. You know, in um, in your analogy, the Okanagan, uh, in Europe, in all those great wine producing regions around the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. half of the EU has zero uh, excise tax on wine production. Zero. Mm. Uh, so how how does that hurt the competitiveness of those those great wineries, world class in in the Okanagan and other regions of Canada, for that matter? Um, on beer, uh, you know, our, our burden is about a three times uh, higher higher burden here in Canada versus uh, Europe. And that includes those big beer producing countries like uh, like Germany, where their excise tax on beer is about $13 a hectoliter. And in Canada right now, it's $35, $36 a hectoliter. It's oh. three times higher here. Um, you know, exceedingly higher than Europe, exceedingly higher than the U.S. And yet, 
uh, going up now at the rate of inflation uh, in this this undemocratic ha- tax hike. You know, it's it's going to devastate some of these these sectors even further. You know, the alcohol taxes that you're describing here in Canada are absolutely outrageous. But I think this fits into kind of a bigger story here, right? Because we have seen many other tax increases during the pandemic while inflation is taking off. So let's let's talk broader here. What can taxpayers do to push back against these tax hikes that we've been seeing? That's right. You know, this we've already seen liquor taxes rise uh, three times during the pandemic, and that's before this huge inflation indexed liquor tax hike is going to kick in uh, in, a, in a few months here on all uh, Canadian beer, wine, and spirits. Uh, you're right, Franco. You know, we've seen CPP and EI premiums go up, uh, payroll property taxes go up. Of course, the carbon tax continues to go up. They continue to push that, so that's driving up fuel costs grocery bills, um, it's driving up the cost of, of everything. That's a, that's a huge problem. So now when they're bringing in this, uh, this, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think politicians, uh, think Canadians were going to, we're going to notice this. This is, this is one of the issues that consumers wouldn't notice this kind of hidden tax on a tax. Um, you know, there's the federal excise tax, there's provincial liquor taxes, consumption markup. And then there's those, those tax on the taxes, like the federal sales tax, provincial sales taxes, but this, um, the precedent with this escalator tax on uh, on excise taxes is is dangerous in a sense too that they could apply this uh, to other all sorts of other taxes. Uh, you know what does that mean for for Canadian taxpayers and consumers? So, I think taxpayers and consumers on this one they need to let politicians know they're aware and they can't keep running up their bar tabs like this. Uh, and you know the uh, the the escalator tax needs to be repealed. Excise taxes need to be reduced, and then the provinces need to follow suit and and lower their uh, equally uh, high tax burdens at the provincial level. Robin, thanks for bringing this to our listeners' attention. And for our listeners right now who are super frustrated and you feel powerless, you're not. You are not powerless. We've been fighting for taxpayers for 30 years. So what you need to do, go to our website, sign up on the petitions that you care about. We're building the army to push back on this nonsense. And then you can pick up the phone and start an email campaign against this stuff. If we all push hard in one direction, they will back down. Thank you, fellas. Thank you. Bottoms up. Franco, um, read it and weep, man. <laughs> so National Post discovered that global affairs are managing to blow more of our money on frivolous crap. How did they manage to do that? Well, the National Post wrote the story, but it was actually Jimbo, James Wood, our investigative journalist, uh, who really did all the digging here. Now, he's nice. not on the podcast recording today, so don't tell him that I was praising him. But he <laughs> found out. Yeah, yeah. Give him a clap. Uh, He found out. Give him a round of applause. He found out that Global Affairs spent more than $41,000 on fancy custom-built office furniture during the heart of the pandemic in lockdowns. Now, they spent money on a bunch of crazy stuff. uh, But this one, Chris, this one takes the cake. They spent nearly $9,000 on 13 lamps. Uh, that's more than what many Canadians, myself included, have spent on a car. Chris, that's <laughs> 700 bucks a lamp. Yeah, that's more than my car, too. <laughs> you know, that's almost impressive. I can't say I'm not even mad because I am really mad. 
But that's crazy that they were able to manage to spend that amount of money. So it it defies logic for average people listening right now. Like we just said, this costs more than our cars. So how, pray tell, Franco, how did Global Affairs manage to wedge this much money into these small items? Okay, so I have it all uh, written down here just because there's so many different (laughs) bad examples. So forgive me, but um, I have to look at the paper here. So let me just step back one second. Remember, Global Affairs spent 41,000 smackers on custom-made office furniture for the bureaucrats and diplomatic offices around the world during the heart of the pandemic. So we said the $9,000 spent on custom lamps. Uh, It's silly, but it's only the beginning because they also (laughs) spent... (laughs) 4300 bucks for a sign-in table at the Canada High Commissioner's Place in Kenya. They spent 10,000 smackers for six floor screens in the Ambassador's Residence in Tokyo. $6,000 for a custom-made cabinet in the High Commissioner's Office in New Zealand. Sounds fancy. And uh, $7,900 for a credenza and coffee table for the trade commissioner's office in Brazil. Now, Simmer, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I don't even know what a credenza is. I was just about to interrupt you and explain to you what a credenza is. So, Franco, when you walk into a vestibule or an entryway, uh, there's usually a little high side table. That can be called a credenza, but mm. most typically it is in a formal dining room. So it's like a sideboard. So, you know, if you're using, you know, old English or Germanic terms, it's a sideboard. If you're using fancy terms, it's a credenza. So Mm. it's a high, narrow, skinny table that you set your fancy stuff on. We spent what on it? What was that? Uh, $7,900 on a credenza. Okay. So just my blood pressure is going up. Mm -hmm. As an aside, um, I'm pretty good at finding really cool, authentic antiques Mm -hmm. and for very good prices. Uh, it's really fun. It's part of treasure hunting. We are not expecting people to be setting their sign-in books down on milk crates. Okay. We know that you can't use a folding chair, but there's a heck of a big difference between that and blowing nearly nine grand on a credenza. You can find elegant, tasteful things for a reasonable amount of money and how on earth could they not figure out a way, especially during, you know, the, the guts of the pandemic to not save some money and respect taxpayers dollars? Yeah, I think that's a big part of the story, right? We've been making fun of this, but it's it's something that we have to remember is that this crazy spending happened yeah. right at the, during the heart of the pandemic when when their neighbors in the private sector were losing their jobs or being sent home uh, by the thousands when so many small business owners were really worried about whether or not they would ever open up again. So I think that's important to remember. Now, you were talking about treasure hunting. We got yeah. Jimbo to go on a little online treasure hunt. He went on the internet to see, uh, well, how much he could actually uh, save on all these different type of items. So Chris, remember the uh, the $10,000 spent for the six floor screens in Tokyo? Yep. Turns out the bureaucrats could have purchased all of the floor screens from Ikea for about a thousand bucks. So $9,000. Like they have pretty ones. This is ridiculous. Okay, go on. Give me the rest of it. Give me the list. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Put the coffee down, ladies and gentlemen, because it's going to get hot in here. Uh, The bureaucrats, if, uh, if they had gone to the Brazilian furniture chain, talk and stock, uh, they could have spent around $212 for a local coffee table. 
Uh, instead of spending $9,000 on those 13 custom lamps, well, if the global affairs bureaucrats had purchased their lamps at an Ikea in Ottawa, they could have spent about $259 for the entire oh. order. Um, yeah, and look, to your point earlier, we're not saying don't staff offices, don't put furniture in these offices. We're saying don't show contempt for taxpayers' yeah. hard-earned money, especially given the situation. Uh, and, and you know what, Chris? I mean, really, it's unfortunate that even a pandemic couldn't get these bureaucrats at Global Affairs to stop wasting taxpayers' money. Yeah, this reminds me of Vancouver City Hall, where, you know, hey, you know, yeah. we think we need some new new chairs. And what do they do? They go out and find the most expensive designer chairs you could possibly find. I mean, these things on Antiques Roadshow, they go for like 10 grand a piece. Like, why? Why? And this is, you you nailed it there. It does show contempt and disrespect for taxpayers' money. And these folks at Global Affairs, though, this isn't as if they've been running a tight ship. Oh, no. And this was a big oopsie. Like, they've been blowing money a lot over there. Yeah, they've, they've got a real knack for it, actually. They've got a real <laughs> knack for wasting taxpayers' money. I mean, remember, this is the department that spent $8,800 on a sex toy show in Germany. Now, Chris, maybe I'm an old-fashioned guy, but if the <laughs> but if the Germans want to blow eight grand on a sex toy show in Germany, let them pay for it, right? Why are Canadians paying for that? We're not even getting any economic spinoff because the sex toy show was in Germany, okay? This reminds uh, me of when taxpayers were having to pay for foreign, like, softcore pornography that was being played on one of the French weird equivalents of strange online channels of the CBC, but they were, it was foreign. It wasn't even Canadian that they were paying for. I digress. Okay. So eight grand on sex toy show in Germany. And there's a lot worse there too, from what I remember. There is, there is $50,000 on a red carpet photography exhibit for Canadian rock star, Brian Adams. Awesome. Uh, but then look, they're also giving away thousands of dollars to help famous Canadians promote their art or their, their their work, sorry, abroad. There was yeah. uh, more than fifteen thousand dollars spent to promote famous cartoonist Lynn Johnston's work in Washington. She's the for better or for worse cartoonist. She's super successful. They don't need this money. Go on. Yep. 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 And it's, and it's from taxpayers too, right? So yeah. there's also uh, nearly ten thousand dollars to help author help author Margaret Atwood promote a new book in Australia. Well, you know, Margaret Atwood is a struggling up and coming writer. Not oh, many stop. people know her name. <laughs> stop. Stop. This is it. This is where we need to change uh, the idea that it's just an open keg. Okay. We need to turn off that tap and say, folks, party's over. Pay your own way. Most of you folks are already successful. You know, Margaret Atwood could pay for her own promotion. Lynn Johnson can hawk her own comic books. And we certainly don't need to be spending taxpayers' money on sex toys in Germany. I can't believe I said that in a sentence. So this is frustrating, really frustrating for people. We laugh because otherwise we'd cry. Yeah. What is the real fix here, though? Like, how do we fix this and stop this? Hmm. Well, you know, I feel like we say this all the time, uh, but it's worth repeating. These bureaucrats just need to use some common sense and they need to remember that it's not their money. The, mom the money that they're wasting on all this is actually from hardworking Canadians, from hardworking yep. mom and dads who have to make sacrifices and tough decisions every single day. So 
it's really on the bureaucrats to to remember that they're not spending their own money and that they have to actually make sure and do their own due diligence. Because unfortunately, really, these bureaucrats at Global Affairs, they continue to prove that they have way too much tax dollars on their hands if they think that this is a good use of money. Now, this is where really the second level comes in, and that's on Finance Minister Christia Freeland. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, she is supposed to be our representative. She is supposed to be the one who keeps an eye on the public purse, especially when we're more than a trillion dollars in debt. So if if these bureaucrats keep wasting money, it should be on the finance minister to stop giving them so much money to waste. And the first place to find some savings is the Mission Cultural Fund, yeah. the one that we were just talking about, essentially a slush fund for global affairs bureaucrats uh, to be wasting our money on all those little things. But look, um, I think what this really shows, Chris, is that we're, we're really in need of just a, an, a total spending review department by department by department. Um, and that's something that the finance minister, Christia Freeland, really has to initiate. The buck really does stop with her. Uh, there's always the political staff that work for the minister. And that changes as the government changes. And then there's the bureaucrat staff. They work in the department. They're there like Stonehenge. They're always there and they continue to expand. It is the political staff's job to make sure the bureaucrat staff is not approving these expenses and blowing taxpayers' money. Uh, absolutely crazy. For folks who want to see more details on where your money was going and what kind of furniture it was buying, we're going to stick uh, Jimbo's story in the National Post in our show notes. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.